Welcome to another episode of Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. What's up, Derek? Well, I'm I'm stoked. This is uh, our first episode of our second year. 53rd episode, yeah. So 52 plus one. So we're going to start calling them like a season two, episode one? Mm, <laughs> no, I'm just going to call it episode 53. <laughs> Sounds bigger. <laughs> That's pretty cool, though. We've uh, We've managed to survive a whole year with each other. You haven't well, killed me yet. I haven't killed you yet. Is that a success? A success? That's a success. Oh, drank enough beers, <laughs> ate some food, found out we like chocolate-covered jujubes. Yes. And uh, lots of meat. Yeah. The carnivore club. Yes. Thanks for clarifying. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it's been quite the... Uh, Quite the educational year. Learned a lot of things and just the logistics of how to make this thing work and and getting onto iTunes and and publishing uh, like web pages and it's just there's so much that we had to learn so quickly. Oh, big time! And it really uh, really educates you really quick. Yeah, the ins and outs stuff. of how to achieve what we want to achieve. How to talk like a normal person on, uh-huh. on a, on a how recording. How not to drop the F-bomb 15 times a show. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like I've gone back and listened to a few of the early episodes and it's 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 still good, but it's it's kind of cringeworthy the way we were a little bit stiff and how we we brought the information out. We're getting a lot better and I still think we have a lot, long way to improve. But oh yeah, that'll be season three. But thing is, it's, it's <laughs> <laughs> episode 104, <laughs> depending on which conversion you're using. It has been fun. It has been a yeah. lot of fun. Yeah. You know what? It has been. And we, we've met some interesting people and we've, uh, like I say, we've done a lot of research on a lot of topics yes. and, you know, really, um, really impressed with some of the stuff we found out there. And even now, uh, it really seems to be a lot of people are starting to listen uh, we've still getting contacts saying, didn't realize there was a podcast about paddling. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, I think what makes us a bit unique from everybody else that's out there is the fact that we cover all paddling, um, experiences, not just, yes. not just canoeing, not just kayaking, not just stand up paddle boarding, which seems to be, there's a lot of paddle, a lot of podcasts out there, um, just dealing with stand-up paddleboarding yeah, or kayaking, right? But you know what? We're equal opportunists. We'll paddle anything. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, you know what? It's it's really nice that, you know, like people are starting to take notice that we are doing it. And, I mean, we're getting people all across Canada, all throughout the States. Uh, I was looking at the um, International. Our stats. Uh, Germany, Italy, Great Britain, India. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I think those are the people calling me about my duck cleaning. <laughs> We've well, got a canoe. His ducks must be dirty. I don't, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But yeah, that was one I wasn't expecting. But uh, yeah, uh, there's there's a lot of people over in Europe that are listening to us now. A ton of them through the states, and yeah, I mean all through all through the states. You know, not just one little section just across the border from us here either. I mean, we're talking down through the the east coast, over on the, uh, the west coast, California, stuff like that. And I mean, all the way out to BC and, and Alberta. Um, we're, yeah, we're international, baby. <laughs> it's, it is impressive. It is, uh, And watching our numbers grow for listeners and for people downloading from our website to listen to the episodes and traffic going to uh, to iTunes to listen to the episodes. Have you seen any traffic to, are we at, we're on Android now, right? Yeah, um, I, I wasn't aware of that, but apparently we were. Uh, yeah, they've got everything listed for us. Excellent. So, which is Google Play. Yes. Um, the FM radio app. Yes. Radio yes. FM or FM yeah. dot radio, radio F- dot FM. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, that, I've, I've never, that's new to me because I'm, I'm strictly an iTunes kind of guy. Yeah. But yeah, even setting up, uh, our, our new website with the streaming and the downloading and all that, thanks to our, our buddy Kevin, who comes over and helps us with all this sort of stuff, um, you know, like getting all that set up and doing our blog thing to announce what's coming up and what shows and what we're doing. And, you know, uh, like I say, all the episodes that you can see what episode aired last week if you've missed. Well, I mean, we got them all up there. If you've missed any of the previous 52 shows, they're they're all up on our yes, website. it's you can, all online. You can stream it. You can download it and take it with you or 
like I say, go to iTunes or Google Play and uh, listen to them from there as well. Um, just look at the the stats, and yeah, our numbers are steadily increasing, which is really nice to see. And it, you know, it, it keeps you going. And what what really is doing it for me now is I'm actually starting to get emails from people saying, "Hey, we're such and such, and we'd love to be on your show." Yeah, that's that's nice. So I actually yeah. have the interaction because it, initially it was I I didn't know if people were actually listening to the episodes when we first got out there, but now we're getting feedback, a lot more feedback, and just to see the traffic, to see the uh, the uh, traffic to the website and to iTunes and and whatnot, it's it's kind of reaffirms that what we're doing is of interest, that people are interested in our listening, and it's not just the latest ones either, because when I go into the stats, it shows me you know, who's been downloading what and, and that sort of stuff. And it's all of them. Mm-hmm. Right back from our very first cringe-worthy episode. <laughs> it, I mean, it was good information, good subject matter. Yes. You know, we hadn't got the uh, the recording and all that done down pat yet, far from it. Um, but uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're downloading from episode one all the way to, to 51, yep. you know, which is really nice to see. And you see how many people were listening to us a year ago. You know, you can see the stats and you're going, oh, I hope that climbs. Otherwise, I'm just wasting my time. <laughs> yes. And yes. then now you're looking at the number of people that are, you know, the, the stats give you the unique numbers of people hitting your site and, and downloading and, you know, how many people total. So you can see there's returns and yep. and all that sort of stuff. And you're like, well, okay, now that's starting to, yeah, it's starting to pay off now. Well, it's invigorating too. It, uh, it, it renews your efforts or renews your interest to keep this going because people are actually finding it interesting we like i'm glad we never went to any fluff pieces like it's actually everything we've talked about is relevant to the paddling industry and relevant to people out there getting on the water and doing their thing and enjoying the outdoors so we're trying i'm i i strive to keep that on top of my mind every time we record well, you know what, and that's exactly, I mean, my biggest fear was doing the show and thinking, okay, what are we going to do in the winter when no one's paddling? Yes. But I mean, that's yeah. just that's just here. You know, exactly. like no one's paddling here. Yeah. But there's still, now that, like I say, now that we've got people listening overseas and, and down south and all that, oh, um, we've even got people in Chile. Oh, okay. Listening to us. And which there's, is, a, that's a, there's a lot of whitewater yeah, in Chile yeah. that's very popular down there. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, I'm thinking, well, you know what? They're still doing stuff. So we still got to be talking about paddling stuff. Yeah. We've done some winter, sh- winter stuff and, you know, shows and, and whatnot, but, uh, there's still enough people in this world that are paddling. And if we're trying to cover all our bases and as many people as possible, being on the internet radio is, and podcasts are, are you know, it's free for everybody to catch exactly. it. Right. Yeah. So no, no leaving anybody out and. Um, even telling people, you know what, if you're, instead of going to your regular places, head on south, do some canoeing and kayaking over the, over the March breaks, the reading weeks and stuff like that. Don't, uh, you know, Mexico doesn't have to be your one-stop destination for everybody. Exactly. Right? Cause that's, I mean, when I was in college and that, that's what it was. Everybody went to Mexico or Jamaica mm-hmm. or, or Cuba. Right. And now it's, uh, yeah, there's, there's more places to go. So keep those paddles in your hand 365 days a year now. <laughs> But yeah, you know what? When we first started, we were like, we had all these, of course you get all the grand plans and what you're going to do and stuff like that. Yes. And, uh. You just have to, we had to, we found our stride. Yeah. And we're still improving every day. Yeah. Every so often we have to quickly scramble because something wasn't what we thought it was. And yes. Pull another, some more subject matter out of our butts. And so far we've been able to do it. <laughs> uh, we've had people like, uh, come on and chat with us and I mean, going down to, uh, New York State and talking with the uh, Scarlet Brothers and have the meanest linkers. We've had David Lee on, you know, like Jeff from Jeff's Maps, David Bain from the Kitchener Waterloo Canoes Museum. We've been very lucky to have some very good guests. Yeah. And you know what? There's a lot of people that are, are now starting to take notice of us and say, hey, man, this is cool. There's something that actually deals with us and, and different types of paddling. Yeah. And, you know, I do canoeing and I do kayaking and I can listen to your show or I do stand up paddle boarding and and canoeing or whatever. And yeah, it's, it's all there. So hopefully we can keep it up another year and, uh, we'll see where it goes from there. Yes. It's very exciting. So we got some stuff to talk about this week and, uh, we could talk about the show all day long and <laughs> <laughs> we could, we could, but, uh, going to start it out on sort of, we, we've touched base before on, um, water rights 
and the rights of uh, of paddlers versus landowners and we've talked about going to Sweden and we've talked about Ireland and and uh, whatnot and all the different rules for all those places and I mean we're we're concerned with the water rights in Canada yes because it's you know, changing it changed under it previous does. government and it's yep. going to hopefully come back the other way with a new government it'd be nice and uh, <laughs> I guess last weekend um down in Arizona, there was uh, four guys. They were kayaking in a creek. They were all camping at a campground. Went out for a nice little kayak. And uh, there's some gunshots. And the, uh, apparently there's a man facing, a 66-year-old man, facing 15 felony counts after police say he fired on the four men. Yeah, and, and so this is, uh, it kind of surprised me that incidents like this still happen, and it doesn't surprise me, of course, too, right? So when, for the most part, like in, in Canada, U.S., you waterways are a free method of passage. You yep. can't own the water. You can't, unless you own all the land around a lake, which this wasn't that case. Yeah, you're not getting to that lake. Yeah, so this was a a, a right-of-way because yep. it's a waterway. And these guys were at a local campground. They're only about a kilometer outside the campground downstream. Uh, yeah, a mile. Um, yeah, a mile. Yeah, apparently the, the police got a, a call saying you got to come to the campground because regarding a weapons offense. And when they got there, they found two men who said they were in a group of four that were kayaking down the creek. And about a mile downstream from the campgrounds, they heard a gunshot and saw an elderly man standing on the riverbank with a large gun. Uh, they reported the male subject uh, fired more than four rounds uh, at them, with one striking the water near the lead kayaker. Mm-hmm. So, of course, this guy just puts the boots and off he goes. Yes. <laughs> the, uh, the lead kayaker. But the man ordered the remaining three kayakers out of the water at gunpoint, charging that they were on his property. <laughs> After which, they came out of the water. <laughs> well, yeah, you just got them on your property. But he was basically saying, "It's my that water is my property. Yeah. Um, he felt because he could view the water from his land. He, that it's, that it's yeah. his. Which, of course, he was wrong about. Yeah. Now, we've, we've, we've talked before where there's, um, they own, was it Ireland that owns the land under, the yes, water, the, but they don't own the water or the air over the water. So that's the water rights. But they, sorry, they, they own the water. You can go through the water. Yes, <laughs> you can go under the water, but the yeah. air above is, is, is part is of the air. Yeah, and that was ours. Um, so anyways, yeah. So he ordered these guys out of the water onto his land. And he, he refused to allow them to get back into the water, to get back to the campground. He ordered them at gunpoint to carry their kayaks and take the road back to the campground. Yeah. Well, they, they were uh, pleading with him first to let him go because they thought they didn't know what had happened to the lead well, guy. Well, they thought the guy they thought he'd been might shot. have been shot. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. So then he tells them, you got to go back the other way. So when the police get there, they found two of the kayakers. The third kayaker went to find the, f- the, the, the first guy that took yeah. off. Um, so they found him where their meeting point was supposed to be, but that third kayaker wasn't there. Yes. As it turns out, because there was, yeah, and this gets a search and rescue party going. Yeah, they're the searching whole for the guy. So they now. think he was shot. Yeah. He's down somewhere. Uh, the police arrested the man, 45 caliber Ruger revolver. And he's taking shots at these guys. Yeah. Like, wow. Like, that's so nuts. Uh, he says uh, he was target shooting on his property and the kayakers were trespassing. So the next morning, the search and rescue found the other guy about seven, eight miles down. He said he heard a couple shots before realizing that he was being shot at while kayaking. He said he purposely rolled his kayak upside down in the water as he was being shot at. The victim says he stayed upside down as long as possible before he rolled back up and heard a male subject say, this one is not going to miss. At that point, he paddled as fast as he could to escape. So, <laughs> wow. Yeah, so he managed to get away. He camped out overnight and he hid in the brush on the side of the, of, the, of the river, the creek, just to get away, to escape, to find safety. And uh, they found him like 10.30 the next morning. Yeah, isn't that something that that's still happening? Yeah, yeah. Like, people just get into their heads. 
Like, you know what? Like the 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 people that are paddling, they're not doing any damage. They're just paddling down the river. Yeah. And these guys, the, being this far from a campground, it's that's it, it's not the, their first one. Yeah. It's not the first people going down this creek ever. Which maybe this is what the the guy got cranky about because these campers keep going past on his creek. But yeah, I don't know. It's, yeah. But still, you know what? Taking the gun out and firing it at people, not the way to do it. <laughs> no. Not no. the way to do it. So. <laughs> but on a happier note, The Canoe, that movie. Yes. Been seeing trailers and postings for it for. Nice segue. For quite a, quite a while now. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> so that's going to start with, a, with Wait, something We happy. have to work on our segues. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's for second season two. <laughs> on a happier note. <laughs> I've been seeing a lot of uh, trailers for this movie, The Canoe. Uh, it's coming out by Go Irimoto. Go? G-O-H, Go. I'm sure that's how it is. Irimoto. Um, well, it has finally been released. Yes, and, and if, if anybody has, like, how would you describe it to people? Like, if you've, some people may have heard of it before. Obviously, we've heard of it because we come across it a lot in our research. We've always said that Paddling means something different to everybody. Yes. You know, what it means, you know, somebody goes out there because it's it's spiritual thing for them. Somebody goes out there to reconnect with, you know, memories from the past, you know, growing up as a kid and their parents would take them camping and canoeing and all that sort of stuff. Other people go out there for, you know, the romantic uh, voyager sort of style thing. Um, you know, get back history, that sort of. So it means something different for everybody. And that is basically what this movie is about. Now, if you go to Vimeo, V-I-M-E-O, for that, those that don't know it, and just check out, or even just go into Google and the Canoe Film, uh, it'll come up. And it's got the same logo as, um, uh, you can see the Real Paddling Film Festival yes. thing there. You'll find it. You can get it. It's 27 minutes long. You can watch the full thing online now. Um if you go to the Vimeo page in the description of the film itself, it says, if it is love that binds people to places in this nation of rivers and in this river of nations, then one enduring expression of that simple truth is surely the canoe. And that's what it, it circles around. It, it, yes. They have five different little stories um, in this movie. And it, it, it all revolves around paddling on that on the water, right? Yes, and it's almost filmed. Uh, it's 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 very. The cinematography is fantastic. Oh, definitely. It's, it's definitely almost is. it's filmed in a in documentary, documentary, documentary style. style. Yeah, I can never say that word. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it's 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 a documentary, and it it focuses on five different. Um, s small stories yes, to build in the little, whole five little slices of life five, yep. five and what, groups what, what it means to other people yes right uh, the film captures a human connection and bond created by Canada's well-known craft and symbol the canoe through the stories of five paddlers across the province of Ontario a majestic background both in its landscape and history the film underscores the strength of the human spirit and how the canoe can be a vessel for creating deep and meaningful connections and that's what they did. And this was done in partnership with the uh, Ontario Tourism Marketing Partnership. Uh, they commissioned uh, Go Irimoto to shoot these five stories and put together the film. Mm -hmm. It's narrated by James Raffin, um, which is, he, he's pretty well known. Uh, but they've sort of done five little chapters here. The first one is The Connector. And that's basically about a family keeping connected through shared paddling trips. In, in Quetico uh, Provincial Park. Yeah. Um, and that's, yeah, I mean, you know what? Like growing up, we always went camping. And this is just continuing that along. Yeah. And she described it as, uh, it, it's this connected history of her children growing up and her, her own youth and and how the, the kids even talked about how they're, all their lives are connected by the canoe and then this is a, their pastime and their enjoyment that they get to enjoy the outdoors. It's something that they all have always had in their life. Yeah. And you know what? When they, they learn this from their parents, they'll keep doing it, keep doing it and probably pass they'll it on, to, pass their it on to their own kids, right? Who hopefully will keep doing it and doing it and just keeps going and going and going. 
The second one is The Champion. And that's about a young Olympic hopeful training on the Madawaska River. And that's over at the Madawaska Canoe, Canoe Center. Center, where you yes. guys took your, White your training. Course. White water course. Um, so this is Alexandra McGee. Yeah. And basically she said, you know, what it's done for her. She was, you know, troubled as a teen and, and then got into all this. And it really got her priorities straight and, you know, got her head on straight, that sort of thing. And, and what it does for her and what the paddling means to her and how it helps her in her life. Um, that was that was pretty cool. It was. It was interesting to see how the getting out on whitewater in her kayak or her whitewater canoe, it changed her life. It brought her around from her, pa- her life, path in life was taking a dark route. And then this reinvigorator, reinvigorated her and made her be the upstanding person she is now. Yeah. And now she's an Olympic hopeful. Yeah. So it turned her life around eh? completely. You never know. The third one is The Explorers. Uh, Gary and Joni McGuffin. Uh, They're basically, they're in, I mean, I've heard about them for ages now. Yeah. As soon as I heard the name McGuffin, I I just, I recognize it right away. Like they're big into photography and and They got a few books out in that. Well, and that's one thing, you know, they're, they're doing the group of seven photos and finding the spots and all traveling by canoe and how they spent so much time on the water and it gets them to these spots. You know, um, he's doing the photography all the time and, you know, she'll do some drawings and stuff like that. And, uh, you know, just connecting with the land in that sort of way. Uh, the the fourth one, the settler, Michael Zhang, uh, a new Canadian exploring Canada through the canoe. So it comes over from China and gets in the canoe for the first time, kind of scared, but then he's getting into it and getting into it. And now he's over at Toronto Islands all the time and, and paddling in different places. And, you know, so not only is it opening the country, the waterways for, you know, when the country was first explored. Yes. But it's still doing it. Still doing it this day to new immigrants, people yep. coming to this country for the first time, and and they're learning a little piece of Canada's history and Canada's future by being becoming involved in canoeing. And yeah, I mean that's that's the way it is. I mean they know this is what it is, and they're jumping into the canoe and continuing on the tradition, as you if you will. Exactly right. Uh, and the last one was the mentor, Gail Bannon, uh, up in Lakehead in Thunder Bay, teaching Ojibwe youth about who they are through the building of birch bark canoes. Um, she's teaching these kids that, you know, what, do you, what are we going to do that, you know, keeps us in touch with who we are, our indigenous roots. And that's what she did is she got them building a birch bark canoe. And she's saying that nobody does this up there anymore. And she doesn't even know if, if her parents and grandparents would still know how to do it. Yeah. It's right? a lost skill. Yeah. Almost a lost skill. It's all, but that's what she's done. And you know what? She says that when she got out, she saw them in the canoe for the first time after it was built. It was just like awesome. One of the most awesome things you, you can see. So as, as we say, paddling means something different to everybody. It's not, it's not going to be the same thing for you as it is for me, as it is for Joe Blow down the street, as it is for the guy out in Alberta, it is for the guy down in Florida or, you know, down in Texas or over in, in Wales. Uh, you know, it means something different to everybody. And what you get out of it is, is what you put into it. Uh, but the canoe is, is the only standard same thing. It never changes. Yeah. Like the technology changes, but it's still, it's a canoe. A canoe is a canoe. Yeah. You sit it's in like it, you, you paddle see it. cars that have changed from the early 1900s to the early 2000s and, and there's dramatic changes, but a canoe is still a canoe. It doesn't change. It's just a canoe. Yep. And like I say, I mean, I, I take it out on my canoe trips into the middle of nowhere and that that's all, that's all it takes, you know? And if I can't get out, you know, giant trip, even if I'm just out in it on the water down a, a local river or something like that. It's just connecting for me back to, to, uh, you know, nature and stuff. So this is what, I mean, this movie is basically saying is the canoe means so many things to so many people. And he's done, Go Irimoto has done a fantastic job communicating that to the viewer. It's a fantastic little movie. It's, uh, he's done such a fantastic oh, the, job the with it. the cinematography, like you said. It's was, amazing. 
was was really good. And really it's good. it doesn't it's not some typical hit you over the head with something. This it draws you in. It's the artistry, the cinematography. You just in, you're enjoying watching the the still scenes and and the the moving water and and it just it made me really yearn and anxious to get out camping and canoeing. Oh, that again. cabin fever hit. Yeah, uh, I've watched it three times now. <laughs> <laughs> like I say, it's only a half hour long, you know, well worth, if you're sitting at your computer, just bring it up and watch it full screen. Yes. Just, like I say, Google the canoe film um, and it'll come up. Click on it, put it full screen and just watch it. And you're just like, wow, this is, this is a really nice film. And uh, I, I think he's done a really, really good job on this one. Check it out and uh, hope, hope you enjoy it. Uh, well, on that note, let's take a quick break. And we'll come back and we got some more happy things to talk about. Perfect. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka and Halliburton. And welcome back. Uh, Derek, we did a show, oh, a few weeks back. A few years back? A few years back, yeah, back in the day, uh, regarding paddling, canoe tripping in the early 1900s versus now. Mm-hmm. Yes. And it, we talked about the differences between what you'd see way back then and what you'd see, see now. And this next one thing we want to talk about, could you imagine... Paddling Western Canada, if in, in the Rockies around Banff, yep. say just say just say Banff as an example, say two hundred years ago, yeah, and you're paddling through, and all of a sudden you see a massive herd of bison. Wouldn't that be something? <laughs> that would be something. That'd it, be awesome. And if you think, <laughs> when when I try to conceive of the numbers involved, two hundred years ago, of the herd sizes, yeah. I can barely conceive of it. When I lived in Saskatchewan, I lived in Southern Saskatchewan, um, we decided one year we were going to take a trip down through, down to Mount Rushmore and all that, through the the Dakotas. And we spent a couple days in Theodore Roosevelt National Park. And they have a massive herd of bison. Mm -hmm. And we're driving along and all of a sudden my dad points out the window to this hillside and there was this massive herd sitting there. And I mean, this would have been in the late eighties. 1880s? Nah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I look good for my age. The 1980s. Um, and I mean, it was a good size herd. But when you look at that compared to what they used to be. Yes. Like, it's mind boggling. It, it's absolutely mind boggling. So they had specific predators that preyed on the plains buffalo but apparently not like they did when once once the settlers moved west no like we're talking individual herds of 30 million plus bison 30 million in a single herd i can't if you imagine you're paddling down a river or stream or whatever and you come to a bison crossing i guess i'll wait a week till i cross (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> like that's huge. So that segues into <laughs> our next topic. Yes. <laughs> you want to get Mr. Picky about segues? <laughs> well, it helps to get it right. <laughs> so big news with Parks Canada, which, and, and like I said, this got me thinking if you were paddling through and you see something like that, something out of the north, just, it'd be really cool to see it. 
I mean, almost like when we go, we go canoe tripping or something and uh, you see a moose walk out in the river in front of you or something like that. Parks Canada on February 1st um, successfully translocated bison. There was 16 healthy bison to the Panther Valley in Banff National Park. Uh, the historic return of the bison coincides with the 150th anniversary of Canada's Confederation after being absent from the wild for over a century. Yeah, they were overhunted and practically wiped out. The bison actually helped develop um, the ecosystem and that in the mountains. Exactly, yes. You know, and, and, and so then, yeah, they, they were hunted out and... Yeah, so the, it's as anything. You, you, if when you when you live in the wild, you help develop the wild. So the the herds were so big that they worked with the subalpine ecosystems and and created with their own methods of moving around erosions and and whatever they they formed the land around them. Yeah, it's it's really something. I mean, when you're talking those numbers, um, like like you say the. Herds largest, uh, numbered largest 30 million. It's like mind boggling. Wow. So what they've done is, uh, they've taken 16 healthy bison, primarily pregnant two year olds and wanting, have transferred them to a a safe area in Panther Valley near Banff National Park. Yes. They are going to be kept there for 16 months. What they consider a soft release. A soft release. Yeah. So 16 to 18 months. It's a soft release, and it, it's, it's an enclosed pasture. Yeah, so it, they're they're controlling the release into the wild, and they're also using this time, this soft release time, to help train and create certain habits among the buffalo, so that in the future, when they do a full release into the wild, they're going to be able to herd them and control them a little bit, so that they they don't just run wild and and uh, get out of the location that they're trying to create for them. So again, it's it's not perfectly natural, but you have to for a reintroduction of something like this. This they need to have a controlled method. Otherwise, somebody's going to get trampled. Some the government's going to get sued. So you have to control this, right? Because well, I mean, that, so, when you go to Banff, the actual town of Banff, they got the elk running. Everywhere. People get rutted yeah. all the time. Could you imagine a bison walking through town? Yeah. So. <laughs> Wouldn't work out well. <laughs> no. So, the, yeah, it, it's closely monitored area, enclosed uh, pasture. Then in approximately June 2018, the herd is going to be released to explore the full 1,200 square kilometer reintroduction zone in a remote eastern slopes of Banff where they'll interact with other native species, forage for food, and fulfill their missing role in the ecosystem. And this is the first step in a five-year pilot project, which now, if you, if you as we said earlier, they chose primarily pregnant two-year-olds. So, you know, if, if you got eight of those are pregnant two-year-olds, well, then all of a sudden you're 16, you got another eight young yes. ones, yes. you know. Um, so you're starting to build your herd that way, right? And it's just introducing them. Now, these were taken from Elk Island National Park, which is just east of Edmonton. Edmonton, yes. Right. So let's talk about the, the, the genetic path of these buffalo, these bison. So they originally came from a Montana rancher in the early 1900s. So there's, there's two Canadians, uh, a Banff National Park Superintendent, Howard Douglas, and uh, Norman Luxton, uh, one of BAMF's early uh, citizens, these guys, they had the foresight because the of the overhunting, they, the bison were nearly, had gone extinct f- due to the overhunting. And yeah. so these guys were, they were thinking ahead. And because BAMF National Park was now, has lost its bison herds, these guys in the early 1900s took a chance and worked with the government and they ended up purchasing these bison from a Montana rancher. And that was almost a hundred years ago as it is. A hundred years ago. Yeah. Well, a hundred, so, yeah. And so they, they moved these, uh, these, these bison 
And now, what was the first location that they moved them to? It was was it Elk Island or El- was it Elk Island National Park? Yeah. So this herd has been living successfully and they're disease free. They they chose this specific herd to move into Banff because it it's a known disease free herd. Mm-hmm. There's no uh, 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 animal. What do they call it? Uh, animal free. They're free range, but they have no. Hepatitis, animal hepatitis, and whatever, right? They're yeah, the, disease the diseases free. that they're they're common. Yes, uh, bovine tuberculosis and there we go, brucellosis. Yeah. So these these yeah. this specific herd is known to be disease free. So this herd originating in the 1900s in Montana up to Alberta, Elk Island, and now they're moving a portion of the, a small portion of the herd to Banff. To hopefully reintroduce them. Yeah. It's, it's now, a really interesting pilot project and what do they call it? Transmigration? Translocation. Translocation. Yeah, a fancy word for we moving. We had to look that one up. <laughs> <laughs> so, but what gets me is they, they make a little a little statement here. Though few plain bison herds are free ranging today, most bison in Canada can trace their ancestry back to that rescued herd. Yeah, that's amazing. Their direct descendants now living in Elk Island National Park provide healthy seed animals for bison reintroductions at home and around the world. So, you know, these, these Howard Douglas and Norman Luxton saved, you know, these, this last herd yeah. from Montana. And now, over a hundred years later, these herd, this herd that they saved is helping out all around the world. Like, how do you think of something? Like, I know. How do you even Back imagine that's going to happen? And, and like in the in today's day, like everybody's thinking of ecology and, and saving the planet and doing whatever you need to do. And but back then, that that wasn't the the what people were thinking of. So for these guys to have the forethought, they were a hundred years ahead of their time. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing they were. So, like you say, early two thousand seventeen, they brought these bison. Um, just to, they just talk about how they got them here. They were loaded into shipping containers, custom modified to safely transport them, uh, transported 400 kilometers overnight. And then they were airlifted by helicopter to the soft release pasture in Banff's Panther Valley. Um, they'll yeah, keep kept there for 16 months and then in 2018 roam freely into the reintroduction zone and hopefully it takes and, um, as I say, the goal of the reintroduction is to restore a wild, free-roaming bison population to Banff. And and this is this is a uh, ecological push that even the north and south of the border that has been in the process for the last few years. I, I know that there's uh, some wolves that were uh, translocated from Canada, BC, Canada, down into Yellowstone. Yeah. Yeah, and they apparently did really well. I yes, know there was very successful. Yeah, there was a, a push to maybe exterminate them again. Yeah, because uh, ranchers years again, back. like yeah, but, like ranchers are always yeah. once they start losing sheep and cattle and stuff, then Let's obviously they're going to be against it. But yeah, the, it's it it's an animal that's natural to the environment, and we shouldn't allow these things to go extinct. No, and that's what happened with the bison, and now they're hopefully, hopefully it's going to be a success, and they'll bring them back. Because I mean, when we we used to go camping, when I lived out in Alberta, uh, we used to go to camping in the Rockies a lot, mm-hmm. and seeing the animals there, I mean, it's it's pretty cool. And if being like I say, if you're if you're in a canoe, and you're paddling down a river, and you see this nice herd of, it of really bison, does it's make the really difference. Really adds something, because you know when you're when we're talking about you know, using the canoe as a connection to the, to the past, to history. Yes. Well, right there. I mean, that animal alone is big in history when it comes to exploring and, and opening up, you know, the, the Western part of Canada and the, and the North America. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I think that'll be really cool and I, I'm hoping it's a su- success and hopefully, uh, I don't know when I'm a, Kids are a little bit older and maybe grandkids and, and all that sort of stuff. We'll head back out that way and hopefully we can take a little canoe trip and and see some. Well, isn't there bison or buffalo on Banks Island? Our... Those are muskox. That's muskox. Muskox. Oh. Yeah. Still, it'd be cool to see. <laughs> cool to see it. <laughs> so so here's hoping that the uh, the bison in Banff are, are an absolute success. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, I, I really hope it works out. So let's take a quick break here and we'll be back with uh, 
talk about something, a little kayak tour. You are listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on Reno Viola Outdoors. Do you enjoy getting on the water with a paddle in your hand? If so, this show's for you. Listen to Paddling Adventures Radio every Wednesday at 6 a.m. and 6 p.m. and see what's happening in the world of paddle sports. Paddling Adventures Radio. Whether you're close to home or far away, grab a paddle and get on the water. This portion of the show is brought to you by Algonquin Outfitters. Algonquin Outfitters, providing quality Algonquin Park backcountry adventures for the entire family since 1961. Whether you want to get on the water for a day or a week, the friendly staff at Algonquin Outfitters can help you out. Find them online at algonquinoutfitters.com or visit one of their 12 locations. Algonquin Outfitters, your outdoor adventure store, with locations in Algonquin Park, Muskoka, and Halliburton. And welcome back. Um, the next thing we're going to talk about, we are looking at canoe tripping and, and paddling yeah. where we are all the time, right? Exactly. And we're thinking, yeah, this is cool, this is cool, this is cool. But then you start looking down at other places that we've been talking about uh, and doing some of my researching and stuff like that. And Honey Island kayak tours in Pearl River, Louisiana. Which is very near to New Orleans. New Orleans. Uh, yeah, 45 minutes out of, out of uh, New Orleans. Um, it's basically, because <laughs> I'm sitting there looking at it. And, you know, I, we, we talk about going down a river and seeing a moose come through. Hopefully you see a bear or something like that. How about alligators? <laughs> Kayaking through and see, you know, little alligator, 10 foot long alligator comes drifting by. <laughs> you know, it's something completely different. So one of the places we that I, that I follow is this Honey Island Kayak Tours. And they do tours through the swamp, Honey Island Swamp. And their, their guides are all, they've all grown up there. So they're quite experienced outdoors enthusiasts. And they know the local ecosystem and culture and stuff like that. So they strive to provide an exhilarating and informative and adventurous kayak experience. Exhilarating. Exhilarating. I might get eaten today. Yeah. <laughs> it's Monday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, I watch, I watch uh, Swamp People. I love that show and stuff. And, uh. Yeah, you see some of the stuff they're dealing with, with all the alligators. And there's so many ways to die down there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, you start going through this, you get lost in the swamp. And then there's the alligators. Snakes. And there's snakes. And yeah, that's Monday. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know. Uh, but you know what? They say they take you along um, historic waterways of the Honey Island Swamp. And they talked about the trees and the wildlife that you see there. And it's a two and a half hour tour that they do through old and new growth, cypress and tupelo groves. So, and some of the, you know, you're, you're paddling along and the canopy of the trees are just, just huge uh, over top. Uh, they tell you about the flora, the fauna, the wildlife, the wetland loss, conservation, the history. And they have, you know, as you're paddling along, you'll see houseboats. Um, along the side and, you know, the people are there, that sort yeah. of stuff. It's, it's, uh, as with anything, if you have a natural area, people are going to like, you know, any lakes or rivers around here, you see people with cottages on the lake and river. It's the same yep. thing down here. Different wildlife you have to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, mean, I was looking at some videos and they actually have people, they build these big rafts with their little cottage. Some people actually put a trailer on it. Yes, like an, an actual RV. trailer. Yeah. <laughs> and they tow those out and yeah. attach them to the shore somewhere. So they're actually floating. Um, I think they said uh, they get the big oil drums and they build the raft on top of that. Exactly. So, so and, anything yeah, to, and they can just buoyancy. tow them anywhere and you float them. Yeah. And that way they're technically not on land. So you don't pay property taxes. They're and, not powered. They're not on yeah. land. They're tax free. Yeah. Tax free. Right. Wow. There's a good idea. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so you go dressed for the weather. If it's summer, you take, you know, you can go for a swim. They say, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you know, you got to bring footwear. You don't mind getting muddy because you're, you know, it's swamp. Uh, sandals, flip-flops, that sort of stuff. Uh, in the winter, 
you can dress in warm layers that you can remove as the day warms up. Uh, sunscreen and a big hat for for protection. Yes. Right? You bring bathing suit and a towel, <laughs> and they provide everything else. Yeah. They bring, you know, kayak, paddles, PFDs. Upon arrival, you receive cold bottled water with ice cold refills during the tour. They'll provide you with a little dry box so you put your phone, keys, and cameras in, that sort of stuff. It sounds perfect. It sounds ideal, but it's just, it would make me so nervous. I'm thinking, like, you're in a unstable, small watercraft. Yeah, it looks like they're paddle on, uh, sit on top kayaks. Yeah, it's still unstable. (laughs) I'm wondering, do you think you have to sign a waiver of liability? (laughs) You may or may not come back from this. Uh the course that they, they the, the paddling they take you on is beginner friendly during the late spring, summer, and early fall, March to November. During winter months, they suggest some kayaking experience as water levels are higher at that time of year and lead to quicker moving water. So you definitely need to be, yes, uh, you know, uh, a bit more experienced with the paddling. Uh, they, they they can take ten guests per tour. They prefer six to eight people, but they yeah they're fully equipped to take. 10 people each time and you got to be at least six years of age. (laughs) This seems safe. Like in some of the videos that we were reviewing earlier, it's uh, these guys know the water. They're familiar with the water. They're familiar with the alligators. They're all local people. Yeah. So these, and they, some of the videos they showed, these alligators are very human friendly. Yeah. And they were feeding them hot dogs and and uh, marshmallows and stuff like that. From right? a big pontoon boat, but still. Yeah, it was from a big boat. Yeah. 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 So, the, like, the, is, there's a level of safety involved is what I'm trying to get at. Like, if to do this tour, like, I initially I'd be nervous, but in seeing how that they handle these animals and and uh, and the the level of familiarity they have with humans, it's. I gotta think, like, when we go to Algonquin Park, you see a moose. And they, they've seen... Enough people. Umpteen... Exactly. Dozens of, of canoes going by. So they've got a relative um, ease with people going by. Yes. As long as you don't get too close. And I got to think it's the same down there. Absolutely. You yeah. know? I mean, we... And they probably come up this way thinking, wow, they've got bears and wolves and... People are and, scared to come up here yeah, because of the they bears. Yeah, come up there because of the bears. I don't want to travel by a moose. Yeah, you're scared of our bears. Look at you got a 10-foot alligator next to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's going to get you. So, but, uh, yeah, you know what? It sounds pretty cool. So, yeah, you, you get on this, this kayak and you go paddling through and you, you look at some of the scenery on, the, on their videos and it's pretty cool going through these swamps and the cypress trees and that with the big roots and you see the water lines and, and whatnot. It definitely and sounds appealing. It definitely does. Uh, so two and a half hours with a, a, a an experienced guide telling you everything about the area. You know what? If you've got two and a half hours and you're looking for something to do, mm-hmm. like it's pretty, it's cool. It's not like it's an all day thing. You yeah. know, if you're down in oh, New absolutely. Orleans for Mardi yeah. Gras or something, this is yeah. perfect, right? And they say, uh, they, they do have a transportation service. Okay, you can just so call them when you're booking, say, look, I'm coming over, you got transport, and they'll, yeah. they'll arrange something. And after your tour, you can have a cold brew at the Honey Island Fish House, which is located at their launch location. Perfect. And I wonder if they sell alligator. I imagine they would. You've had alligator. I've had alligator. I had it, uh, it was, it's a, what's the restaurant called? It's uh the Banff Grizzly House, it's a fondue type restaurant, right? And they've got some exotic dinner dinner menu items. So it's like you can, it's a fondue restaurant. So you can do an oil fondue. I did the hot rock fondue. So a big smoking hot chunk of marble they bring to your table. And and uh, I had stuff like uh, alligator, ostrich, frog legs, buffalo, elk. It was, uh, it's, it's really cool. It was a really cool thing to do. It's expensive, but you get to try some, some different meats, right? So it's yeah. pretty cool. Well, I think if I was going down there to do stuff like this, I'd definitely oh, absolutely. give that a, Like I say, I watch swamp people and stuff, and you watch the big the big outdoor barbecue meals that yeah. they put on for the family at the end of the shows, and you're like, oh, man, I could sit there all day eating that. Well, but, if I ever make it to the St. Lawrence Seaway and uh, the uh, Magdalene Islands, I plan on trying uh, harp seal. Yeah, yeah. Can't yeah. get it here. Nope. 
But uh, when we were in Iceland, we had the opportunity to try whale in a couple spots, but it oh, was yeah? royally expensive, and it was oh, just like, yeah. well, yeah, you know what? I'd, so we didn't, but uh, you know, was tempted. So yeah, honeyislandkayaktours.com. Check them out if you're looking for something different to do. If you're going to be in uh, New Orleans um, and you you know you're looking for something different for the day, check it out. And uh, I think it's definitely something different than we're used to up here. That's for sure. And that brings us uh, pretty much to the end of our show. I'd just like to remind everybody that we are hosting the Real Paddling Film Festival on March 21st at the Tap and Tankard in Whitby, Ontario. Um, you can get tickets at eventbrite.ca, $15 each. Or if you actually live in our area, go to Five Paddles Brewing Company in Whitby. They'll be selling tickets there as well. $15 each. I uh, hope to see a lot of people there. Should be a good night. Uh, Five Paddles will actually be there with some of their latest brand uh, brews uh, for you to try. Um, for those with Apple devices, don't forget you can listen to us on iTunes now. And if you don't have an Apple device, you can start listening to Paddling Adventures Radio on your phone with the Player FM free Android app. And you can listen to us on Google Play. Uh, take a peek and find us on Facebook. You can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. You can find us on Instagram. And you can find us on Twitter because Derek is Twittering now. <laughs> yes, I am. So I'd like to thank everybody for listening to our 53rd show. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time.